Matthew 16, verse 18. And it says this, And I also say uh, to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, or on this truth, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it or overcome it. Notice what Jesus said there. He said there is a hell, there is a kingdom of darkness, and he said this, it cannot prevail against the church. Now, the church can let things prevail in ignorance, but it does not have to prevail and technically should not. But what's interesting, Jesus made this statement. He said, I will build my church So which is Jesus' church? Is it ours or the one down the road? He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When he talks about his church, what is his church? Now, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but we're going to look at a couple of these verses again. 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll look through these because, you know, when I first got saved, this was a huge thing in my life, getting this changed. Now, it may not be for you, but it was for me. I was always convinced that the church was a building because you go to church. You go to church Sunday morning, and occasionally you go other times, so we go to church. And then you hear people say stuff like this. Oh, I wouldn't go to church because the church would fall down and cave in on me because I'm so bad. You know, it would just cave in on me. The church would, you know, or or you get this, you know, people driving to church and they're having a tough time in the in the morning, you know, in the car. I mean, not at this church because everybody's just never any problems. And um, so they're having problems. And then parent says to the kids, straighten up, we're going into church. And then when I was younger, I would hear this, and I would hear people say things like, say things like this. They'd say, hey, don't talk like that. You're at church. Like, it's okay to talk like this outside, like, you know, you're at school, when you're around your friends, it's okay to cuss. Carry on, but when you're at church, don't do that. And all those things, what happens is it builds a certain mentality in people, and they think when we're here, we're at a certain place, and when we're gone, it's something completely different. And so here in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll look at these verses again, just real brief, 12.27, it says this, 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The body of Christ is us and it is made up of individuals. So what is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is a bunch of individuals. Now, what individuals make up the body of Christ? People who come and get involved in membership? No. People who come every Sunday? No. People who are the body of Christ 
and we're not going to go into this detailed like we have in the past, are people who have been born again, who have received Christ as their Savior and Lord. So he said, now you are the body of Christ, this group, and members individually. Each person is a member of the body who's saved. Now go to Ephesians 1.23, because we'll connect these verses together and it will say something very interesting. Now, there are other verses, but for time's sake, we're just going to look at these. Ephesians 1, 23. Ephesians, the first chapter, 23rd verse. It says, which is his body. Now, what's he talking about? The church. But remember, he said, we are the body of Christ and members individually. Now here he calls the body the church. The individual people make up the church. Why? Verse 22 says, and he put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. You could say the individuals that have Christ as their Lord are the body, and the body is the church. So you could say it like this, when you come to church, that body meeting is the church, and the church meets in the church building. But the church, if we wanted to, we could go have a picnic and a baptism at a lake. And when the individuals come together... That's the church because the body is meeting and the body gets together. Because some people say, I can be just a good a Christian and not be in church. That's like saying a body has parts and I can be just a good a finger if I'm not connected to the body. I can be just as good a foot and not be connected to the body. Right, but the body is affected. If somebody doesn't have a foot, they have to compensate. And it's because of an individual part that didn't come together to take its place. And so he said, which is the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The church is the fullness of Christ in the earth. Who fills all in all. Now that, because sometimes people say, see, Christ fills everybody. No, he fills his body. Each individual has Christ living in them that's saved. Now let's turn here to Colossians 1. And like I said, we're just going to briefly touch on these. So the church is made up of individuals. The church is actually the body of Christ. Notice this now in Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians 1, verse 18, he said, And he is the head of the body. What's the body? The body is made up of individuals who have given their life to Christ. And he, notice, is the head. He's the head of the body. You are not the head I am not the head. He is the head of the body. What is the body? 
the body is the church. Remember, the church is individuals. The church is not a building, but the church meets in a building. This is important because when we talk like that, what happens sometimes, people say, let's go to church and you can experience God there. Yeah, but you are the church, so you should be able to experience God on your own too. Especially with some of the stuff we've read before. You with me? The church does need to come together, but we can't always be together. But you're still the church when you're at work. You're still part of the body. You're just an individual part. One translation says you are the church corporately and individually. Notice this. He said in verse 18 again, And he is the head of the body. The body is made up of individuals. He's not the head of those who are not the individuals that make up this body. And I'm not talking this body here, but I'm talking the overall body. You with me? Because it, it's sad because the world needs to know this too because when somebody dies, you'll hear this, they've gone to a better place. They, they went to a better place. Not everybody goes to a better place, but it's amazing how everybody goes to a better place. At least on Facebook. You know, or on TV. But not according to Jesus, they didn't go to a better place. See, when people don't realize that they're part of the body and the body belongs with the head, people think, well, when I die, will I be good enough to get to heaven? No, not on your own, but if you're saved, you'll go. Well, I've been good enough, have to let me in. No, that's not how you go. Well, I've, I've started praying more. Doesn't matter, that's not how you go. You have to be one of those individuals that has given their life to Christ. And made him Lord, not prayed to him, made him Lord. Because even the Bible said, many will come in my name saying, I prophesied in your name and did this in your name. And he said, I, I never knew you. It's about being born again, like Jesus said. It's about being saved. It's crucial. And when you're saved... There's a, a verse that says you become baptized into the body of Christ. What does that mean? Because, you know, the Bible teaches, and I wasn't going to talk about this, the doctrine of baptisms. You know, there's more than one in the Bible. There's actually several mentioned in the New Testament. And when we talk about baptism, most people have in their head, get baptized into water. But man baptizes a man or a woman in water. But in Galatians, it talks about, and in Corinthians, it talks about being baptized into the body of Christ. Not into water, not into the Holy Spirit, but into the body of Christ. And it says how? It said, by one spirit you were baptized. Not by a man into water. Not by Jesus into the Holy Spirit, but by the Spirit into the body. How, 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 how do you do that? 
Well, the Bible tells us when we give our lives to the Lord, it said we're in Colossians 1, we're transferred from or taken from one body, the kingdom of darkness, and put into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You come into His body. What people don't realize is what seems so small And the Bible said, by the foolishness of preaching, men are saved. When somebody comes down front after a service to give their life to the Lord, and they just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, however they pray that prayer, if they mean it in their heart and say it with their mouth, something in the Spirit happens. They're moved out of the kingdom of darkness. The emptiness will leave them. The destitute sense inside goes. And they come into the kingdom of God's dear Son. They're in His body now. You don't even see that. You don't even sign up for it in the lobby. You don't give in the offering for it. You don't get other people to pray for you about it. And so this is actually a fundamental principle that's mentioned in the Bible. And what happens is we don't see this baptism, but it's because it's not carried out by man, it's carried out by the Spirit. Like Titus said, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what happens to anybody who gives their life to the Lord, they call on Him, the Spirit comes in and regenerates them, and that's why people, after they give their life to the Lord, they're like, man, I'm just, it seems so different. It's awesome. But it's not just that He became your Lord and He's there and you're here. No, you actually get changed internally, spiritually, And then you're moved out of the control of darkness and put into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You're baptized into His body. But see, baptism, most people think that baptism, and if you read, the Bible said those who have been baptized into Christ, that's when the Spirit puts you into His body. He said when you're baptized into Christ, you put on Christ same context earlier on he said I've been crucified with Christ nevertheless I live and he said yet not I but Christ lives in me all of a sudden you get this new life you're baptized into Christ into his body and you put on his life or you get his life in you see here's what baptism means there's two archaic terms that we don't usually use a lot But it's really, if you go back and look at the meaning, then it will make other scriptures come alive. Like those who have been baptized or put into Christ, or baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Baptism literally means this. It means to take a small vessel and scoop something out of a bigger vessel. Like a cup, a ladle, out of a bigger bowl and take something out of it. Then the other is a term that we would use and we would know, but we wouldn't maybe know it the way it originally meant. It literally means this, to take a cloth and to dye it. To take a piece of fabric and to put it in a bowl of dye. If I have a white shirt and I put it, baptize it, put it into a red bowl of dye or a purple bowl, whatever your favorite color is so we don't lose anybody. (laughs) Put it in there because somebody's like, are they going to mention green? Well, we weren't, so that's up to you. 
put it in that bowl, what happens to the fabric when it's, the term is literally baptized? See, water baptism is only telling the world what happened to me at this point that I'm talking about now. Baptism, the Bible said, saves no one. Water baptism does not save anybody. But if you read all the baptism scriptures and make them all to be water baptism, you miss out. And so he said, you know, to be baptized, he baptized us into Christ or put us into Christ. We put on Christ. What happens to a white cloth that gets put into red dye? It changes an inseparable color change happens. It takes on all the qualities of what it was put into. And from that time forward, you're tie-dye or whatever design. But when you're baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. The whole fabric of your spirit changes. And now you're the body of Christ. Now you're the temple of the living God. Those are all scriptures, you know, and so on. And so when we get baptized into Christ, we are completely changed internally in our spirit. Not in your mind, you renew that. Not in your body, you crucify that. But your spirit, the Bible said, is made new. You pass from spiritual death unto spiritual life. So what the Bible said. Well, what does that mean? That, that, like the Bible said, the whole world lies in spiritual darkness and spiritual death. The only way to get life is to receive Christ. And it appears so simple, just like many inventions in the world appear simple. I mean, think about it. If you look at some solid state electronics and things like that and different things that you can do, just by appearance, it looks like a little thing with two little wires here and another little round thing with a couple wires here and then a little square thing here. And, and that little square thing is... It's like a hard drive, and it can hold so much data, but by appearance, it just looks super simple, but in its working and what really happens and the dynamic of it, complex and incredible, you know, and I mean, because you think about it, I'm using a phone with my notes on it for what notes I do have, and in it, there's all kinds of technology, but by appearance, it's just so simple. You can push a button to start it, but the internal working, complex. Salvation, you don't need to know. Hey, I don't have to bust this thing open and figure out how it works to have it work for me. If I keep it charged, it's going to work. Or it's supposed to. And it's just, I, and, and if something, I turn it on and I can turn it off, I can turn the ringer up and down. I don't have to know that there's little things connected everywhere in there. I can enjoy it. I can enjoy it. And you don't have to know everything about salvation to enjoy it, but there are some things you should know to enjoy it. But these are things that happen to us that are out of sight, so to speak, but you experience it. How many times have I prayed with somebody and they said, it's like a weight lifted off of me, but they didn't see it. I didn't go, well, we'll just run and baptize you in the sink. No, we got to get, get you to water. No, but there was a baptism. That's why if you read scriptures and sometimes... People say, well, this contradicts. You know, it says in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, it talks about the doctrine of baptisms, 
But in Ephesians, it talks about there is one baptism. But then Paul, when he talked about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, or he, they, they said, he said, well, what baptism were you baptized into? And he said, into John's baptism. So there's different references, but the Bible said there, there's one. And people get confused in other places, so there's more than one. Well, which is it? There is one primary, and that's all he's talking about in Ephesians. There's one primary baptism. It's this one of salvation. When you get moved into the body of Christ. So if your thinking is the church is this building, then you got to be baptized in the building. No, you're put into his body. It, you don't see it, but it happens. You don't outwardly just it didn't always appear, but in time, it'll appear, appear in people's actions and in their lives. It's revolutionary. I've watched people all the time give their life to the Lord, and all of a sudden, so different. And, and some of them, it doesn't just show up right away. I remember my, my neighbor, a uh, girl, I had moved away, but we grew up together, and she had moved away, and something happened, and she called me, and she said, she had talked to me, and I, she knew I was a Christian, and she said, um, she had made a comment about this girl that, was, that knew me, and we were actually engaged at one time, and then I started going after God's plan, and that ended. That's another story. Maybe it shouldn't be. But uh, you need to follow God in what you do. And, um, but she, we were both not serving God, and we both gave our lives to the Lord. This other girl, Sar. And this is like 10 years before. And I'm talking to her about the Lord. And she said, you know, everybody noticed when she got saved, she looked way different. Looked way better. Not that she looked bad before, but she just looked better. There was just something about her. She said, we would talk about it. We noticed it. She didn't say that about me. But um, <laughs> she said that about her. Something happened. Something happened. Now, I did have a guy one time who knew me in high school, and I was standing behind him at this Mexican place, and he looked over, and I think he noticed me, and he looked over, and we moved up, you know, and he looked over, and I said, hey, and his name is David also. And then after we got done, we were talking, he said, I would heard you gave your life to the Lord. He said, you look calm. I said, yeah, I've changed. I've been changed. And so anyway, my neighbor, I said, listen, I'm not asking you to change religions. I just want you to make Jesus your Lord. We did this over the phone. So we prayed. She gave her life to the Lord that day. You know, and she grew up Catholic. And she said, you know, she, you know I said, I'm not asking you to change anything. I'm asking you to believe in the Jesus you believe in. Just receive him into your heart. And she said, I'll do that. I said, I'm not asking you to come to my church since we're talking about my church, I said, just receive him as your Lord. I said, read this verse. If you call on him and believe that he died and rose again and ask him to be your Lord, you do this as a, this one point in time. So it's not a pray, prayer you pray all the time. This is a one and done. It's kind of like getting married. And, um, well, supposed to be like getting married. So anyway... I said, and no condemnation to anybody who's gotten a divorce, unless you want me to condemn you, then I will. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, but so anyway, so she, I prayed with her on the phone, 
And then, you know, we talked for a minute, hung up. I didn't tell her come to church. I didn't tell her anything. I knew on the phone something happened. Because spiritual things are as real as natural things, just some people aren't as sensitive to them. There's pressures pushing people to do evil, and they wonder, why have I feel driven to do this? Because there's stuff you don't see. Why, why do I feel drawn like I need to go there and do this? Because there's stuff you don't see. There's another world out there. And so I didn't pester or anything. And, you know, I talked to her occasionally. And a couple weeks later, she showed up at the church. And she had her, like, big Catholic Bible. You know, you have to carry in a wagon. And um, not trying to be mean. And, um, you know, just that big, cause she, that's all she had. You know, now you could disguise who you were and where you were from. You could just download it on your phone, you know, whatever. So she came to church, and she left, didn't say anything. She was gone for a few weeks, maybe a month or even longer, and she came again. But then she came a couple of weeks in, the, in a row, and missed and then came a couple of weeks in a row. And I remember, you know, I was the assistant pastor at the church at that time in Southern California. She went walking out the door and our pastor would always get by the, the main exit doors. So if anybody wanted to say hi or whatever, and, and, and she's so connected to Catholicism and that's all she grew up in. She just walked out the door, you know, our pastor's married, got four kids, you know, Oh, Father, that was a wonderful message this morning, you know. And she's just thinking back that way. And she's, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you that. And she's like, it was, but it was a good mass. I mean, service. I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff. But she told me, she said, something happened that day, I prayed. And what happened was, it started working its way out. I said, it started working its way out of her. Meaning because it was internal and it started working its way out. And, and, what the, and this is what we're talking about, the Lord building his church. He saves people, they become part of the church. And, but you don't get saved by accident. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something? Saved by accident. But you don't. You get saved on purpose. You don't just get to heaven and him go, well, let's look and see. Were you good? Were you bad? Were you, ooh, ah, if you wouldn't have done that, you could have made it. And you're like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> and then off you go. He goes, go to hell. No. What's interesting, Paul said he was such a wicked person, and he murdered and imprisoned church members. He was in business. That's what he did. And... Um, the Bible said that his life was an example of God showing mercy that, you know, basically that he, he'd save anybody no matter how wicked they are and use them for God. And he said he was set forth as an, an example to those who would be saved. In other words, you can look and there's nobody who the walls are going to fall in on because the walls aren't the church, they're a building. I mean, you just think about it. People think that their supernatural sin is greater than God. Somehow the walls are going to cave in on them. They aren't. But God might try to get a hold of you <laughs> and get you to surrender to him. But anyway, it's a fact. 
The body of Christ is made up of individuals. We don't see this happen, but it happens all the time, all over the place. Somebody said, is there just one church then? There is one church because there is one body. But there are churches that make up the body of Christ. We know this because Paul said when he traveled and he told them, appoint elders over the churches. And then Jesus, when he wrote you know, or spoke in the book of Revelation in the second, third chapter, there were seven letters, messages to seven churches or seven pastors of churches. And he gave these, and he named these seven distinct ones. And they were ones that were started by Paul. So there can be different church buildings, but it be one church. But the church is not made up of just a bunch of people attending. It's made up of people who are saved. So in a church building, the church should be meeting. Wouldn't it be sad if people met in the church building and none of them were saved? Then they'd be in a church building, but they wouldn't actually be the church. So that means that you could have everybody in the building be part of the church because they're saved. Half of the people in the building be part of the church because half of them are saved. You with me? The church is made up of individuals. So here's the thing. You may attend Christ to the Nations Church, and we are a designed church by God, but you could meet two or three friends out at the park or, you know, somewhere, and you start talking, and they go to a different church, but they're saved, and you're saved. That's the church. Now, God may have designed for you to come here, but you could meet up. That's the church. You know, there's some meetings, you know, in town occasionally where somebody will come, a speaker or whatever, and a bunch of people come together. That's the church. But that's not a church. That's not a church. You with me? That is part of the church. And he said, I will build my church. How does God build a church? We talked about this last week. One way God builds his church is to get people saved, tells us to go reach people so they can hear the message, so they can be saved. When he says build the church, he literally means make it strong. Make it big. Build it up in every way. And it's interesting that the church is God's design. Jesus died and rose again to start the church and make the church be what it is. You want to know what's so interesting? Church never existed before Jesus was on the earth. Matter of fact, the church didn't exist as we know it while Jesus was on the earth. It wasn't until he died and rose again that the church became what we know as of today. Here's an interesting thing. If you ever go read the book of Ephesians, you'll see this. The church in there is mentioned as the mystery of the church. See, the church was a mystery before because there was no body of Christ. There was no head of the body in heaven, and there was no body in the earth because people couldn't be saved until he died and rose again. 
and now there is a body. You with me? There is a body now. And the body is made up of some bodies. Somebody said, I'm a nobody. When you get saved, you're a somebody. As a matter of fact, the Bible said this concerning people who are saved and people who are called out by God. He said, don't call common and unclean what I have cleansed. In other words, don't speak bad. We're, we have a significant place in the earth, people who are saved. We're here to be the light of the world. You with me? Turn, if you will, to Acts, the first chapter. And maybe we won't read this. Maybe we will. But God is building His church. We said this, you know, if, if we're individuals, and we read some of these verses, I think two weeks ago, how God put giftings in every believer. Every believer, when they got saved, got something from God. But then it said, as you read on through into the 7th and 8th verse of Ephesians 4, it says, but to some he gave these giftings. And those he gave those giftings to were actually to help all the others who got stuff when they were saved. He said, some got this, and he got, they got this to help the general body. He said, what for? To build it up. To edify it. Proper giftings are to build up the body. But if you think the body is just a building, and it's only about numbers, which numbers are part of it, but the individual makes up the church, so God is in the business of taking those people who get saved and by these ministry gifts and other things, which I believe we'll talk about next week because we didn't get there today, he's in the business, or business, of building them up individually. Because individual parts are the body of Christ. So God doesn't want individuals weak once they come into the body. He wants to grow them up and get them strong. He wants to build them up. So when he said, I will build my church, he was talking about, sure, getting people in, but not just getting them in, getting them here and getting them saved. But then, because really, without those people, they can't just get built up. But then once they're there and they get saved, he wants them to get strong, to get built up, to grow up in him. And it's interesting, of all the investments, you know, we're in week four or five, something like that. I have to look at my notes. But think about it. Virtually, we've talk about, talked about week after week is the investments that the Lord has made in humanity, saved humanity, people who know him for the sake of building the church, getting people in, and then getting the people in built up and strong in him. That's part of the business. I mean, when the, when the Lord comes back, you know, he's the head. Everybody thinks of him as glamorous, right? He's Jesus. But we're called the bride of Christ. And, you know, 
he wants his bride to look a certain way when he comes back. Who is the bride? The body. He's the head of the church. And when he comes back, he doesn't want the body all tore up and weak. Now, there may be some people that way, but it's interesting if you look at the book of Revelation when the Lord comes back, and even Ephesians 4 talks about this, that we be no longer, and we talked about this, no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, people getting thrown around. The reason why people are thrown around is there is, qualify these words, not the best teaching going on in the body of Christ. There's a lot of junk. So people are just thrown all over the place. People are tossed to and fro. And there isn't good sound doctrine. But that doesn't mean there aren't certain places that are all over the world. Because his body is going to grow. It's going to get strong. Turn to the book of Revelation. I said it's going to get strong. The Bible said we will come as a church to the full stature of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. What did his stature look like on the earth? What did you see on the earth? When you saw Jesus on the earth, you saw God in action. When Before he comes back for his second coming, we will as a church, not everybody, but anybody who wills can will come to the full stature of Christ. The church will walk in. It's not because he's going to sprinkle us with pixie dust and he's going to fly around with wings and sprinkle people and then he, it's just going to happen. No, it's when people grow up in him and get strong, they're going to put away things and walk in things. But it's not going to come unless there's sound truth. And here's the thing, because even Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I was, when, you know, and he talks about thinking like a child, speaking like a child, acting like a child. But he said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Who put them away? Paul did. Because Paul said in Galatians, the fifth chapter, he said, if I build again that which I tore down, I make myself a transgressor. So truth will help people to grow up. Into what? Into the image of Christ. Into the image of Christ so we live out a life that looks like Jesus as a whole church. So if you came to church, you'd see the same Jesus, not the physical Jesus, but you'd see his body in action functioning like the church did or he did when he was on the earth. You with me? We would come, and we're to come to that place. It is what he wants. It is what he has designed. It is his whole. He wants the body, which is his church, to look like the body. Turn to Romans 8. Somebody said, you didn't even read Acts 19, or Revelation 19. Keep your finger there. We'll come back. Where did I tell you to turn? Huh? Romans 8. Good, because I didn't know where I was turning, so I had a good thing. Good thing there weren't like four answers. <laughs> Romans 8. Notice this. Romans 8. 
interesting verse. Verse 28. No, we won't read that. Let's read verse 29. For whom he foreknew. Now, you know, people talk about God predestining. God doesn't make you do anything, but God predestines things. But his predestination does not mean it will always happen. You with me? Christ died for all so that all might be saved, but all won't be saved, though he has designed it to be that way. The church has to tell people. People have to respond to him. He has predestined things to happen. But that doesn't mean they always happen. They take human cooperation. It's amazing. God is all-powerful, but he is subject to us in the aspect of his will doesn't just always automatically happen. In other words, there's a part I play in it. You with me? Notice verse 29. For whom he foreknew. So he may have predestined or made a destination for somebody. I want you to do this with your life. That's your predestination. And he foreknew and he planned it so this would be done through you. But if you don't obey God and don't follow God, you'll never get to what he has predestined for you. Think about the glorious gift of salvation that he has predestined for all men to have, but just because he has put that as a destination for them, hey, can't you put in your GPS any destination you want? And But if you decide to make turns, you cannot end up at Disneyland? You with me? But anytime you start listening to the GPS, you can follow your way right back to the plan of God. And Disneyland is not necessarily the plan of God. But, you with me? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What has he predestined the body to be, these individuals, you and me? This, this scripture will make your head spin. To be conformed to the image of his Son. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants saved people to be shaped like Jesus. He wants the body as a whole to look. Now, I'm not talking about ladies growing beards and long hair like Jesus and everybody's got to have a beard. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the image that's projected of a forgiving Savior, of one who doesn't like sin but loves people, who connects people to God and brings results in people's lives. That's what he wants. A body that is well connected to the head. Notice this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Turn to Revelation 19 and we'll close here. Because there's something God wants to do. Before we leave. And you know, you don't want to override anything. 
but I did bring this up, and so verse 7 of the 19th chapter, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. There is a marriage supper of the Lamb that happens. But there's an interesting statement here. I know that goes against people's doctrine and stuff, but it's still in here, and you can read it in its context, and it is what it is. Because somebody said, well, I thought the marriage supper of the Lamb was seven years. There is no verse for that. So there is no verse. Pretty much I haven't read any of my verses other than Matthew 16 today, but I could quote verses for you if you want to know. Just go start reading the very first verse of Matthew 25. That's another time when it talks about the, the virgins and the marriage supper and the bride coming. That's at the end of the tribulation period. This is at the end of the tribulation period. Never does it even Ephesians 4 just talks about a bride without spot and wrinkle or any such thing. Never talks about a seven-year period. But that would sure help your doctrine if you believed a certain way. I've had people say, well, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb is a seven-year period. I said, where's that verse? And read this, and then, the, and then they're like, it's not, actually, it's not in there. No, because you just have to say that. I know people don't like that, but we're talking about the church becoming the church. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. When I was a child, I thought, spoke, acted like a child, but when I grew, I put away, I put away, I put away childish things, and the church is going to grow and put away stuff. Made herself ready. Hey, if we know he's coming, the Bible said in 1 John 3, you know, in the first, second, and third verse, well, actually the second and third, because the first says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. But the next verse talks about when he comes, you know, how he's going to come again, but anybody who has this hope will purify themselves. If people really believe he's coming, They'll start changing. I mean, really believe it. But it's interesting. She makes herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean, bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's the stuff we carry out on the earth. We're going to look like him before he comes in action. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet. This was an angel sharing this. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am a fellow servant. I'm a servant too. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, who worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Basically, he was giving this message from God, and it was a message directly from God about the end times and how the church would be and how they would get themselves ready. And there was such power on it, the guy started worshiping the angel, and he said, don't worship me. Whenever you have the testimony of God, you'll sense his presence. You'll sense something working. Worship him. 
Don't get caught up with me. I'm just like you. And verse, then the next verse says, now I saw this when this happened, heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written up that no one knew except for himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And we know who this is. It's Jesus. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This group of finely clean people that are in heaven, that are there now, are going to come back and meet this finely clean bunch on the earth, the church. The church is not coming back. He's not coming back for a building. He's coming back for the people who are saved. And it's interesting, they're dressed a certain way, and we should too. 